My name is Kevin, and I'm um, going to teach today from a uh, second time on a series we started last week on the good and beautiful community. So we've, we've kind of been through three. This is the third of three series. There was the good and beautiful God. We did that, seems like, a couple years ago. The good and beautiful life, and now we're working on the good and beautiful community. Last week, Randy taught about uh, one f- aspect of the community, which is peculiar or peculiarity. And I'm not going to recap that, um, just to say it was a peculiar sermon. Um, this week, I'm going to teach on the hopeful community. And uh, I'll have more to say about that in a minute. But what I wanted to do to start is uh, we're going to watch a video, if that comes about. And during the video, um, the teaching is beginning now. So I'd, I'd ask you to stand up and to kind of... Listen to the words of the video. Listen to what he is saying. It's, uh, they're pretty powerful words, and then uh, I've got something I need to do um, while we're watching the video. So, with that. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for what you want to do today. We thank you. We open our hearts. Lord, we, want, we know that you want to do something really different this morning. We can sense it. We're expected of it, and we're open to it. And, Father, I pray now that you just fill my brother with your Holy Spirit. Fill him to saturation, to, Father, it's overflowing. Let your word come through and in, out and about, in between all of us. Come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Amen. I forgot one thing. And I'm going to give you a warning. This may be a too hanky message. <laughs> so we're talking about the hopeful community, and uh, I don't preach very often. And when I do, um, I tell Clara I need a couple of months of runway. It takes a long time to get my plane off the ground. And I like to write out everything that I'm going to say, because you get up here and you kind of lock up a little bit, and then you can always go and, and read what you've written out. And I thought about the hopeful community, and I thought about the good news and the hope that we have in us, and I said, you know, I, I know that. I know it. I know it. I know it. I don't really need to write it out. And so uh, I'm working on the trapeze without a net today. <laughs> so <laughs> this may be a one-off, or we'll see if this becomes a a habit. Um, we'll also see if my little clicker wants to cooperate today. Look at that. It's very fast. So when I think about hopeful community, the first thing I think about is good news. I think about the good news. The Bible calls it good news or gospel. And so when we think about good news, what comes to your mind? Right? This is not just me up here talking. This is all of us entering into a thought process here. Because it's important that we understand what it is that we believe and we understand what it is that we have to offer in terms of hope to people that don't have hope. So good news. What is good news? And one of the questions I thought of when I was kind of mulling over the good news, and I'm going to talk a little bit more specifically about what it is, is is the question is, is the good news really good news? Is it really good news to you? Because when I think about it, when I really stop and think about the good news, when I think about what I have in Christ, it's overwhelming good news. It's life-changing good news. It's worth sharing good news. And so as you just sit and reflect this morning, if you're kind of having a check, like, you know, I'm not sure the good news is really good news for me, then that's okay. That's the place where you are. And what I would say is, be who you are, be where you are. That's the place to begin. That's the place to begin to move forward. Don't be this person that comes in and says, I pretend like it's good news. I smile, and I leave, and I feel empty inside. The first thing to do is just to be aware of where you are with the good news. 
There's a, uh, a story in Acts chapter 10 about this man, Cornelius. Cornelius is uh, he's a Roman centurion. So just so we understand what a Roman centurion is, he's a guy that leads the occupying force, right? The occupying force of Romans that are in the Jewish lands that are the, essentially the oppressors of the Jewish people. And this guy, Cornelius, the Bible says he's a kind of a God-fearing guy, he and his family. He's somebody that longs to know God. And he, in the course of his life, of being a centurion and doing what centurions do, which is generally probably not kind stuff, he has a vision. He has a vision of this guy that he's supposed to go and get and bring back. And at the same time, there's this guy, Peter. Maybe you've heard of Peter. He was one of the followers of Jesus, the original 12. And Peter was sitting on a rooftop, and he was uh, hungry. He was waiting for lunch to be prepared, and he was praying, and he had a vision. So these two guys have this vision, and the vision basically says, you got to get together. So that's enough of an intro. If you want to read the full story, pull out Acts chapter 10. It kind of spills over into chapter 11. It's a great story. But there's a couple of things in the beginning of that story that I wanted to highlight. So I've called this, the good news comes to Cornelius and his household. It says, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian regiment. Cornelius, now I'm skipping verses here, he was expecting them, them Peter and Peter's companions, because Peter, he had sent men to get Peter after this vision, and Peter, who had received this vision, said, okay, you're supposed to go with these guys when they show up. They showed up, so off he went. A couple days' journey. And so Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So Peter arrives, and they're talking, and Peter goes inside, and he finds a large gathering of people. So do you kind of get the picture of what's happening here? This guy Cornelius says something, God is doing something. There's some kind of thing happening. This man, Peter's coming. He's got something to say to us. And I'm getting everybody I know, everybody I love, everybody I care about, and we're going to gather to hear what he has to say. So Peter walks in like, holy smokes. <laughs> I, you know, I thought I was just going to meet with Cornelius. they got a whole room full of people. And he began to speak. As I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. I'm going to take a pause here, just a kind of a bit of a sidebar. But Jesus, he came down from heaven as God's son. He became man. He became like us. He became fully like us. And what we see is that his ministry began when he was anointed. When he was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist and the Spirit came upon him, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around after that doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. That's a picture of us. That's a picture of us. Jesus is sort of the trailblazer. He's the one that did it first. But it is God's intention for us that we too would be filled with his Spirit and Jesus said, and you're going to do greater things than I did. And we read that and we say, yeah, I don't know what that means. So we continue. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. So that's kind of the way it worked in those early days. There was this message, this good news that went out. If we read in the, if we just reflect on the verses I just read, there's peace with God through Jesus. There's forgiveness of sins through his name. And there's the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's part of the good news, is that God comes and dwells in us. His Spirit actually comes in us. And the presence of God resides with us. And therefore, his knowledge, his power, all of his resources become available to us because the Spirit is in us. So that's the truth. That's reality. We have a hard time grasping that truth, believing that reality, but that is the truth. That is the good news. And when we get that, when we start to really understand what it means to have God indwelling us and empowering us so that we can live the kind of life that nobody else on this earth is capable of living without God's Spirit, and that he wants us to be a part of what he's doing in the world to redeem this world, then the good news becomes the best news that you could ever have. Really the only news worth getting. So we have this good news, this forgiveness, this peace with God, this gift of the Spirit. And tied in with the good news is this word hope. Last week Randy taught a little bit about hope and faith and the difference between hope and faith. And I want to I want to touch on that a little bit more today. Um, you know, faith is a way that we live in light of the hope that we have. Okay, so we have hope. He talked about you know I hope the chair holds me up, and so we go sit in it. That's the act of faith. I, I'm going to say that hope is a much stronger word than that. That the hope that we're talking about in Christ is a much more solid, substantial word and therefore when we go and live when we exercise faith when we take steps we're stepping because we know what that future is we know what the hope is and it's solid it's not shaky it's not something that we're uncertain about it's not a fog and it's important as his followers that we understand what the hope is oh that's hard to see Peter, in his uh, letter, says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And so the question is, what is the hope? What is the hope that we have? Remember, this is Peter that went over to Cornelius' house, spoke to that whole gathered group. So that's really the question that I want to spend a few more minutes talking about is what is the hope upon which we base our faith? The hope that allows us to then go live a certain way and step a certain way and act a certain way. And we all need to be able to answer that question. We're supposed to be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks, why do we have this hope? I see it. I know it. I can see it in you. Why do you have it? And as you think about that, as you sit here today, would you say you're a hopeful person? Do you feel like you're hopeful? One of my favorite writers is uh, N.T. Wright. Click, click. Would you mind clicking that forward? Well, we'll see if it wants to go forward in a minute. What he says is, most people in my experience, including many Christians, don't know what the ultimate Christian hope really is. Most people, again, sadly, including many Christians, don't expect Christians to have much to say about hope within the present world. What I believe the church needs to recapture, the classic Christian answer to the question of death and beyond, which these days is not so much disbelieved, 
in world and church alike as simply not known. And then a little later in this great book called Surprised by Hope, he says, Heaven in the Bible is not a future destiny, but the other hidden dimension of our ordinary life. God's dimension, if you like. God made heaven and earth, and at last he will remake both and join them together forever. We're really going fast here. All right. So when I think of hope, what I have in my mind is kind of two, at least two things. But these two things I think are essential. The first one is resurrection hope. It's a picture of a gravestone, an old one. And up until probably the late 18th century, you would find that word resurgum, it's a Latin word, on many gravestones. Resurgum. Does anybody know what resurgum means? Huh? It says, I will arise. I will rise again. I was thinking that's a, that's a word I wouldn't mind having on my tombstone. And all right, I got a hot rod of a clicker here. There we go. So 2 Corinthians 5 says this. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in, is taken down. That is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. And then on down to verse 5. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. So here's the picture. We, we've got this body, it's various shapes, various ages, right? Various states of repair or disrepair. And it's wearing out. And we know that as you age, you, you realize the body's wearing out. And resurrection is that hope that says, this isn't the body and it's in this final decaying state that I, I'm stuck with forever. I'm going to get a new body, right? And it's like... The contrast between living in a tent out in the woods and living in a mansion on the beach. All right? It's that different. I mean, Jesus had the new body when he rose from the dead. That body had some kind of characteristics. It could pass through walls. You know, I don't, we don't know. We have to use our imagination. What, was, what were the features of his body? He, he, uh, he, get, he got to, into the room where the disciples were all huddled and, and afraid. And at some point it says he breathed on them. So he got this body and he's like... And he breathes on them. So the first thing that we think about here is that this life is not the end. This is not the whole thing. This is just a part of the thing. It's an important part of the thing, but it's certainly not the whole thing. And I think at one point I had a slide in here that showed kind of a, an infinite timeline and kind of where we fit on the, on the timeline of infinity. If, if you think about that, it's kind of an oxymoron, right? The timeline of infinity doesn't make any sense but we sort of we sort of live in that interesting place in time between the cross and the return of jesus right we're in that in between time and it's kind of the greatest time that you could imagine right because forgiveness of sins has come and right relationship with god is there and hope of everlasting life with him is what we have in this time So a question, are you living this life, this one, today, with the next one, our true life in mind, right? Or are you just living in this life just as far as I can see in front of me? Second feature of hope that I want to draw attention to is restoration. So resurrection and restoration. You've got to remember those two R's, right? You think hope. Remember resurrection, and remember the hope of restoration. Um, when you're reading a book, and you're like, you're into it, but you're like, ah, this book is making me nervous. I wonder what's going to happen. What do you do if you really want to kind of resolve that tension? What do you do? Skip to the end. All right. So guess what? If you skip to the end of the Bible, this is what you find. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. So we have this hope of resurrection that this is not the life, this is not all there is, and we have this hope of restoration that everything that is wrong with this life in the end will be made right. But it's not just that we're waiting for that future time when that happens. I'm going to say restoration has already begun. When Jesus rose from the dead... When his dead body in the tomb became a living body, a resurrected body that walked on the earth, that people touched, that spoke, that healed, that body, that's the beginning of the restoration. It has already begun. And this is what I think. I think the transformation that God works in us in this life, to the degree that we allow him to just have his way with us, that's the restoration that he's doing. It's beginning in us now. And he'll do quite a bit of restoration if we'll allow him. He'll do as much as you have faith to believe that he would do. I was, uh, I was on a business trip a couple weeks ago. We had a uh, whirlwind tour. We went to Wales, and then we went to Quebec, Canada. And... Uh, in Wales, we flew from San Antonio to Wales on this nifty company plane. And, you know, when you're going with the jet stream, when you're up there at 45,000 feet and you're going with the jet stream, we got there in less than eight hours, seven hours, seven and a half hours. We were in Cardiff, Wales. Boom. It was awesome. And uh, we got there Monday night, Tuesday, we had meetings. Wednesday, we were at the refinery. And uh, we had a windstorm, 100-mile-an-hour wind gusts in Wales. We were in this building, and the windows were just howling, rattling. And then, you know, thankfully the plane didn't blow away, and the next day we were able to go to the plane and get on it, and we flew to Quebec. So now we're flying from Cardiff against the jet stream to Quebec, Canada. And it took seven and a half hours (laughs) to get to Quebec. So it took us seven and a half hours to get all the way from San Antonio to Cardiff, and it took us seven and a half hours, seven hours to get from Cardiff to Quebec. So we weren't even all the way home. And, of course, we landed in Quebec. This was Thursday evening, and uh, the you know customs comes out and meets us and people that we get the rental car from, and they're all going like, yeah, there's the biggest storm of the year is coming tonight. <laughs> the biggest storm that we've had up here is coming tonight. And so, you know, we're kind of going, well, why don't we just get back on a plane and leave? But somehow the pilots wouldn't let us do that. So we ended up staying the night in Quebec, and the next morning we went to the refinery, and it took... Uh, It took us about two hours to get the refinery on the highway because they closed the highway down due to the snow at the exit where the refinery was. So we were just in this giant plodding traffic jam to get to the refinery. And we got there late, and so to make up for it, we left early. (laughs) So we got back to the airport, and this snowstorm is really starting to go. And so there's a photograph as we were getting ready to board the plane of what it was like. It's a whiteout, right? It's a complete whiteout. And we're thinking, so we're going to get on that plane and we're going to shoot down the runway and we're going to leave. So we went through this whole process. There's a, there's a de-icing process. when So, you know, there's a, like a fire truck thing that shows up and it sprays this fluorescent orange liquid all over the plane. You know, so we're watching this kind of like a car wash thing, you know, coming over. And then this fluorescent green stuff on the wings and I'm, uh, I'm emailing a friend who's back in the office because uh, she's aware that there's this storm there. She's like, oh, what's it like? And I said, this. I took a picture out the window and sent it to her. She's like, ah, you know. I said, well, here's the deal. We're going to take off in a few minutes. We're going to punch through this blizzard into glorious sunshine. Or maybe we're just going straight to glory. <laughs> Either way, all is well. And that's what happened. 
we went down this runway in this whiteout, and that plane took off, and we rocketed up, and in a matter of minutes, we punched through that storm, and the sun was shining. Do you see that? Heaven has come near. Heaven has come near. And we're in that whiteout. We're in that sort of the way we look at our life, right? We're in that sometimes it's really blowing like stink and sometimes it's not too bad. But all in all, we don't see the sunshine that lies above. Hebrews has a different way of saying it. He says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. I said Hebrews like he's a guy. (laughs) Mr. Hebrew. (laughs) It's not like an anchor. It's an anchor. It's a strong, secure, certain anchor. That's what hope is. So think about it. You're in that plane. You're rocketing down the runway. You're like... Oh, boy, here we go. And then you punch through and you see the sun, right? And you know all is well. It really is well. It's just when you're down there in the storm of life and you're down there in the fog under the cloud cover, you don't see it and you don't know it. But it's close. Heaven is close. Jesus said when he began his ministry, right? Hey, change directions because the kingdom of the heavens has come near. It's near us. And the anchor, the anchor, the picture of the anchor, right? You're in a boat. We were in a boat. It's like, I sure hope that thing we're tied to holds, because if it doesn't, you know, we're going to get blown onto the rocks, right? Well, our hope is like that anchor that you can absolutely trust. You can absolutely know will never let you go. There's this Michael W. Smith song playing right now, right? This hope is an anchor for my soul. Because of that, because we're anchored people, because we know that God's kingdom is near, we can live differently than anyone else. We don't live in fear. We don't live in want. We don't live in uh, this feeling of limitation. We have the kingdom of God that has come near to us, and we have this picture of what awaits, right? So I, I did something. I went around, right, and I said hello to everybody, and I gave you all a hug. Because most of you all I know, known for a while. Some of you I met for the first time, so welcome, and I'm glad to meet you. But my purpose was this. You know, God's gathering a family of people to himself, and we will be with him forever. We're going to be with him forever. He's going to be in our midst, and we're going to be right We're not going to be broken. We're not going to have sorrows. We're not going to have tears. We're not going to have pain. There's no more dying, right? You have to understand that. You have to understand what we have in him, this everlasting life, the best life that you could imagine. Pick your best day in all your life. It doesn't measure up to the life that we're going to have with him forever. And so when we understand that, when we get that, when we sort of let it really sink into our being, then we can begin to live this life with a whole different outlook, right? One of my favorite passages is just a little bit further down in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's about the new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a passage right there that's worth committing to memory. Because what it says is that in Christ, we are new. And we say, well, I I don't feel very new. Well, hey, it's what the Word says. We're a new creation in Him. 
we have to kind of enter into that new creation, but it's who we are as a new creation. And it's because we're a new creation, he's given us something to do, right? He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God has kind of decided that the way he wants to draw people to himself is through his redeemed people, through his new creation people. So there isn't another plan, by the way, than the plan that we are to be the ministers of reconciliation in this world. And we're Christ's ambassadors. And I was thinking about ambassador, right? So if you were ambassador, U.S. ambassador to, say, Pakistan, pick a kind of a country that's a little bit hard, a little bit dicey in terms of politics, and you're an ambassador from the U.S. to Pakistan. So a couple things. One, you represent the United States, right? You represent the interests of the United States. You represent the positions of the United States. But at the same time, you know about the culture of Pakistan. And you probably, if you're the ambassador from the United States, you probably have some affection for the Pakistani people. You probably have some orientation where I can appreciate who they are, I can appreciate their culture, and I, as an ambassador, am trying to find ways that we can sort of work together. You have your view of the world, I've got my view of the world, but I am there representing where I'm from to you, but at the same time I am appreciating who you are, how you think, what your issues are, and then trying to figure out how we can work together. So we're ambassadors of Christ. The thing about us is, like, if you were ambassador to Pakistan and you had lived in the United States all your life, you'd say, well, you know, I, yeah, I know the United States. I'm pretty tuned into the way things are. And so I'm going to Pakistan, and I kind of, you know, actually I miss home now, and but I can be there because I'm familiar with where I came from, right? To be Christ's ambassador, we're ambassador from the place we haven't yet been, right? From heaven, from the place where God is. So that's why we have to get that picture of who we are in him, deeply embedded in who we are, so that when we go out and we interact with people as his ambassadors, we're not fuzzy, we're not afraid, we're not uh, unclear about what it is that Christ has done for us. So again, if that's if you find yourself like, yeah, that's good for you, Kevin, that's not for me, it's something that you can actually work on. It's something that you can you can learn more about. It's something that you can meditate on and you can ask God to fill me with the hope of heaven. Right? Fill me with that resurrection power. Fill me with restoration power. Make me light. N.T. Wright says, the point is this. When God saves people in this life by working through his spirit to bring them to faith and by leading them to follow Jesus in discipleship, prayer, holiness, hope, and love, such people are designed, it isn't too strong a word, to be a sign and a foretaste of what God wants to do for the entire cosmos. What's more, such people are not just to be a sign and foretaste of that ultimate salvation they are to be part of the means by which God makes this happen in both the present and the future. Okay? We're part of his plan. So let's shift to hope for the world. Or not. Would you click that one for me? So we have this hope, right? We have this good news, but it's not just for us, right? It's hope for the world. Can you click it one more time? So that was just a brained up, right? That was just a couple of minutes of me thinking about, you know, what is the hope that we have? You could spend some time and you could come up with your own ideas about the hope that we have, right? Good news. Our sins forgiven. Sins forgiven. Think about all the screw-ups that we've done in life, right? And God just wipes it off of us. He doesn't hold it against us anymore. Every terrible thing we've ever done, it's gone. And he says, come, come, come. 
come. You're completely clean. You're completely blameless and holy when you come before me. And he gives us his spirit. He gives us power. He gives us his power to live. I'm convinced of this one thing. There is no way that we can live the kind of lives that we're supposed to live as followers of Jesus unless he empowers us to live that life. And that's good news. That is awesome news because guess what? I don't have to be sort of this guy that's able to do something. All I have to be is a guy that says, fill me. Fill me and use me and I'll be available. So when I was 17, I became a follower of Jesus through my high school science teacher. You know, I met him when I was a freshman. I was a senior then. And I, I've reflected on this, you know, and over, over time. It's like, I wonder how many prayers he said for me between my senior year, my, my freshman year, and my senior year. Even in my junior year, I went on a, uh, I was in a photography class, and we went on a group trip to Death Valley, and so we were kind of close with his family and kids. And, and then somehow when I was a senior, and it's interesting because it was the year my parents were divorcing. They'd been sort of fighting for all those years, and this was the year that they were divorcing. And he invited me to come and study the Bible. And I said yes, and I don't know why, but I did. And somehow it was something I wanted. It was something that I wanted. And uh, when I was 20, Cindy and I got married pretty young and had Sarah, our oldest daughter, right away and had a second daughter. And we sort of went through the, the early 20s, and I would say we went through some serious marital problems. And then kind of by the grace of God weathered those storms. And in my late 20s, um, something started to happen in me where I would see a show, a documentary about adoption. And I would weep, which was weird because I'm not a weeping kind of guy then. <laughs> and, you know, it, was, it got to kind of a really pathetic point when I would read my kids from a Cabbage Patch story. You know about the Cabbage Patch story? You know, what happens to those Cabbage Patch kids? They get adopted, and I'm reading them the story, and I'm weeping. I'm weeping because they're being brought into a family. And so uh, one time I ended up in an InterVarsity alumni conference. I mean, I, I realized that I've ended up at various places over my life, not because so much I chose to be there, but because somebody invited me to go to this thing. And so there I was at this alumni conference. I was never even an InterVarsity guy, but I, I'm related to InterVarsity people. And I'm there, and actually the speaker that I wanted to hear, I was really looking forward to, he was a no-show. He was a cancel. And so they had the backup speaker at the conference that I wasn't really particularly wanting to be at. And he spoke about the will of God. And his question was, has there been anything in your life, over the course of your life, that has just come up again and again and again as a theme, as a something that you think, oh, maybe I'm supposed to do that. And I thought about adoption. And it hit me like, kind of like the proverbial two-by-four in the head. I don't know about anything else as far as God's will. I don't know about anything else, but that was one thing that was absolutely clear to me. And so we began a process of uh, investigating adoption. And it was a long process. Um, this would have been in the late 80s. And then in the early 90s, um, you can click the next one. I don't know if I have the power here anymore. We got a packet about this little one. Her name then was uh, Sandra Marcela Osorio Munoz, a little girl from Colombia. She's a little one that suffered a lot in her early life, right? Abuse neglect. She's got a hearing loss because of the neglect. Rejection. You know, that's what happens when your family can't take care of you, right? Abandonment. And she came into our family, and we went through this journey uh, of life together. She's 25 now, so that's been 21 years that we've been together. And we've had some fairly terrifying moments together. And we've had some amazingly beautiful moments together. And what I see in her life 
is this transformation taking place. I can actually see God restoring her life. Right? I can see it. I can see what he's doing in her to take this little one who was so badly damaged and to restore her into kind of full life. And she's still in the process, as we all are still in the process. But she, she is, for me, that picture, that clarity about what God is doing in us to restore us. And he's doing it not just as individuals, but he's doing it in family, right? He calls us to himself. He himself is family. And he calls us to be part of his family. And he's gathering a family. And as the psalm says, he places the lonely in families. That's what God does. So a few years ago, I I started thinking about her and her family. And it uh, turns out when she was around 18, so that would have been maybe seven years ago, she had a need as a young person to know where she came from. And we went on this uh, adventure to find her family. And we worked with some missionaries in Colombia, and they put out like a radio broadcast in the mountains outside of Medellin, and her family was found. And so we flew to Colombia, and we met her family. Can you click to the next slide? So just take a look at the faces there. Her mother's in the pink just to her left in the photo. She's holding her half-sister. Or actually, it's a cousin, Marcela, same name. So she met all these family members, half-brothers, aunts, uncles, paternal grandma. And we were there, and it was, you know, it didn't actually answer all of her questions. But the thing that came upon me here in the last few years was, You know, God didn't just pull Marcella out of that situation and place her in our family, but he's restoring her because he has bigger plans. And I started to pray for her family. I started to ache for her family. And I have this dream, this belief, that when I enter the kingdom of heaven, I'm going to see them there with him. Right? So I'm not wanting to share that as the story about what I did with Marcella. I'm sharing that as an example of how God is towards us and what he would do in us. Guggen, with your family, your mom and your dad and your sister and your brother and your cousins and your grandparents and your community. And he doesn't just draw us to himself in isolation, but he does it. And he begins this process of restoration that's beyond what we would think he could do or would be willing to do. And so I want to stir up your faith this morning. I want you to believe that God is the restorer of the broken families of the earth. That when Jesus came and laid down his life and he defeated the powers of sin and the powers of death and the powers of the evil one, He didn't just do that so we could just be forgiven, but he did it because he's redeeming the earth. He's redeeming this creation that was beautiful at one point before the fall. And he invites us to be a part of that redemption work. Click to the next one. I've got to give up on my clicker. So this guy, uh, Frank Labach, I've been reading a little booklet of his that are letters, actually excerpts of letters, and he says, As for me, I choose to stop following this current, to stop posing as the judge of the universe. I choose another road for myself. I choose to look at people through God, using God as my glasses, colored with his love for them. Love so insatiable as the love of God can never be satisfied until we respond to him to the limits. Nor will he be satisfied until his aching arms receive my neighbors too and all the surging multitudes of the world, all of us together, responding to him and to one another. Okay. 
So a couple thoughts to close. I guess the worship team can come up if you want. If you're not certain this morning that the good news is really good news, if you're not really convinced in your bones that that good news is good news, I'm going to say that's okay. It's all right. Okay, don't, don't feel embarrassed about that or don't feel bad about it. It's a starting point. It's a place to begin. And there are people here today that would be pleased to pray with you, to answer questions, and to pray. That whatever it is that, that has you not convinced that the good news is the best news, that can be addressed. That can be changed. And if you're, I'm, I get the good news, I get my, my sins are forgiven, but I really, you know, I'm just not convinced about what lies ahead. I'm not confident in that. That's another place to be, right? And it's okay to be there. We're all learning as we go along, right? What we knew when we first met Jesus is a lot different than what we know today, and we'll continue to learn about him. And so if you find yourself as, I don't feel that hopeful about this life, I'm not convinced, then that's a place to go. And again, there are people that will pray with you. There are people that will help you. And I think the third category that I would throw out here is just as a closing is if your heart aches for loved ones, parents, brothers and sisters, cousins, neighbors, if your heart aches for people that are in your life or that have been in your life at various times that don't know Jesus, that don't know the good news, that don't know the hope of life forever with him, you can respond to that. Today's the day to respond to that. Today's the day to pray, to ask God to take that ache and to show you what to do with it. Take that ache and to show you how to, to do something moving forward. And again, he will fill us. He will give us what we need. I don't know what to do. Yeah, that's great. I don't either. You don't need to know what to do. You need to be willing to let God fill, and to let God use you. And so I'm hoping this morning that you will respond to the opportunity if he's spoken to you in some way along these lines or in some other way that you will respond that you'll be willing to get up and to seek out and to share and to receive prayer because i think if you do that i think if you do that he will meet you he'll meet you in a strong way and i have this uh this is kind of my closing benediction click one more time back one there we are. Sorry. I was uh, having this prayer time last December. And all of this stuff I've been thinking about and trying to share today kind of came together. And it came together in a form of a prayer. And so I just want to speak this as a prayer over us as our closing. And after I'm done, we'll sing our last song. Uh, those of you that are going to help to pray can kind of gather over here by the wall. Those of you that would like to receive prayer, take that step of faith. Right, take that step to receive what God would do for you today. And then we're dismissed. So we receive this as a prayer. I, re- I pray for revival. I pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on all flesh. Reviving the people of God. Filling them with the life of heaven on earth. And power to live like Jesus here in this sad, lost world. And convicting lost ones of their sin and separation from God. And regenerating them by the, by the overpowering of the Holy Spirit to become new creations in Christ Jesus. another call that uh, Kevin alluded to early on and I'm going to call us or remind us back to that quoting from Acts 10 that the Lord this morning told me to read and be prepared to share from um, a verse that Kevin highlighted was in Peter's sermon so to speak in his sharing He spoke about Christ and he said this, 
You know the word which he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace by Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. The word in which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. And Kevin said, that's us today. Jesus blew, breathed on his disciples. And he spoke to them and he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he as well talked about a time that was going to come, a day of Pentecost, a day of new beginnings when God wanted to empower his people. So scaredy cat Peter, who ran away at that moment of trial in the garden, couldn't stay awake. And then a few hours later, couldn't say that he was a follower of Jesus, became one of the most bold proclaimers of Christ not because he was good enough, not because he knew how to get the job done, but because he was empowered. Words Kevin shared this morning. Many of you here know of the work of the Holy Spirit, but you're not living from that place of his empowerment to do your job, to parent, to do your schoolwork. Revival has to come first to us before it can become restoration to the world. And some of us here today need to renew our commitment to the involvement and work and empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And some of you have never experienced that empowerment. Peter's teaching along, he's preaching his sermon, and all of a sudden everybody starts shaking and trembling and falling down and speaking in tongues and... He stops his sermon, says, oh, my goodness, I, I guess uh, God showed up to church today. And God wants to show up to church here today. He showed up last night at a leaders meeting. In a very profound way, he's initiating revival in us, new life. That's what it means to revive. Some of us have been asleep. There's a few that look like you're in a coma. And God wants to blow on you and say, wake up, be filled. Let me fill you with what you need to live the life before you. If I guess I'm going to let those first two calls that Kevin said. We've got five or six people over there. That's good stuff. You can manage the two. If you're looking for revival and empowerment of the presence of the Holy Spirit, why don't you come to the front? 